Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session. So you have a little patient booked into your books and they come in with their parents who are concerned that their child grinds like crazy at nighttime and now their teeth have been reduced to nothing but stumps in their mouth. And now they're looking to you for what's going on and what to do. Welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name is Erica Huin and today we are joined by Dr. Shireen Lim. Now, Dr. Shireen is a dentist with a special interest in airway health in young children and is one of a handful of dentists qualified in dental sleep medicine. As new grads, oftentimes we're the ones seeing the paediatric patients in our clinics. And what that means is that we're one of the very first people to be looking inside a child's mouth and picking up on potential signs that may be reflective of the way that they're sleeping, breathing, eating, growing and thriving overall. I know oftentimes I have young parents bringing in their children and asking me, what can they do? Is there anything they can do differently? And how is their child developing overall? And I find myself often at a bit of a loss or limited in the advice and assessments I can make. Fortunately, this is Dr. Shireen's area of expertise. And over a series of episodes, we're going to talk about everything to look for from childhood bruxism to sleeping patterns, bad habits, tongue ties, thumb sucking, jaw development, feeding habits, you name it. And we're going to kick it off with a case study of a little girl that I saw just the other day, who I'm sure you all will have seen at some point in your very own clinics. So Dushreen, why don't we start off, I think maybe a good way to start our palette <laughs> off would be diving into that case study that I mentioned to you. About a few weeks ago, I had a mum come in and she brought in her little girl who was, I think, maybe four or five years old. And she said that she had a hole in her tooth. And so she was a very sweet little girl. I got her to lean back in the chair and I had a look and it wasn't decay, but rather she had ground down her, this was her 8-4, all the way down to the point that I could see the popple chamber, just the outline of the popple chamber. And it was just generalized across all of her teeth, all her primary fours. You could see that same outline. And I started asking the mum about it. And she's like, yeah, she grinds so badly at nighttime. She can just hear it. The mum says, sometimes I just like try propping her mouth open to try getting her to stop grinding. And then I started diving into a few more questions with her. And I asked the mum, oh, do you feel like she gets a good night's rest? My mum said, no. I like, does she seem restless throughout the day? Mum's like, oh, definitely. <laughs> and even then she was like, you know, writhing around, fidgeting in my chair. I asked about, oh, do you notice if she's a mouth or a nose breather? And the mum said, oh, she often has like a blocked nose and breathes through her mouth. And yeah, those for me felt quite like red flags of something else that was going on. And so I kind of wanted to get your thought and your expertise in how you would have managed this situation had this patient presented in your clinic and your chair. We know that teeth grinding is one of the strongest red flags that a child has disturbed sleep or disturbed breathing during sleep. And that's a very multifactorial problem. And so some of the common things that we want to start looking for are do they have enlarged adenoids or tonsils? So as dentists, we can definitely look at the degree of obstruction inside the mouth. What is the tonsil grading? With the adenoids, we can't necessarily see them so much. But if a child closes their mouth and they're having struggles to breathe and you can hear that nasal resistance, 
you know, that could be a clear sign that that may warrant an ENT referral. The other thing that we want to look at is the jaw structures as well. Uh, the palate plays a big contribution to how well we can breathe. It's the floor of the nose, it's the house for the tongue, and it's the support for the upper airway muscles that are more collapsible during sleep. So I'm starting to look at, do they have crowding of their teeth? If they're in primary dentition, they should have gaps between their teeth. I'm looking at the depth or the, the palate vault, because if that's high and narrow, then we have a high and narrow nasal passage. So that's something that needs to be addressed. And then I'm also looking at how is their mouth resting? Do they have their mouth open? Do they have lip competence? How is their tongue working? So I'm looking at the tongue mobility. The ability of that tongue to lift is particularly important for sleep and breathing. And so we want to rule out any tongue ties that are going to create low resting tongue. And so it's, it's multifactorial. And I usually will start off by telling a parent that, I'm going to go through a functional history about how the mouth has been working from infancy, discussing their breastfeeding journey, any infant feeding, what was their transition to solids like, how do they breathe and sleep during the evening, are there any speech concerns. So I have a bit of a checklist that I run through to get an indication of how things have been working. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful. And I think what we will do with our little series with you, Dr. Shreen, is kind of dive into each of these things that you've mentioned. And for our listeners, I think the way we're going to divide it is this episode is very much going to be this case study. And then our next segment, we'll be looking at all the things that you've mentioned, Dr. Shreen, about your habits, tongue ties, about assessing tonsils and their sizes, red flags in that sense. And then Perhaps our third episode will go into those discussions with parents and talking about their journey from infancy until now. But bringing it back to something that you mentioned earlier, when you said grinding starts raising alarm bells that perhaps there's a underlying sleep disordered breathing. Is that always the case? Is grinding always a sign of sleep disordered breathing? I mean, there is a lot of research to suggest that teeth grinding could actually be a protective mechanism against obstructive sleep apnea. So basically, when we have some difficulties breathing or there's some limitation of airflow, it's an arousal response or a stress response. Uh, So there's an arousal from sleep, the muscles are recruited, and it keeps the airway open. So it is protective against obstructive sleep apnea. However, it can create very disturbed sleep and breathing. And so I think it is really important, or there's no harm in ruling Mm. out that history in children. Yeah, I think that's a good point to mention that it may not always necessarily be related, but you know, what's the harm? I like that term you just said is like, there isn't any harm in just investigating into it. I often hear, you know, sometimes people saying, oh, they'll grow out of it. Do you think there's any merit to that statement? And is grinding as a child, does that carry through into adulthood as well? Yeah, it's something that is taught in dental schools that sleep bruxism is quite a normal phase that we will grow out of it. I'm in this field and I'm inquiring and asking about the history of these children and we will actually find that many of them have really disturbed sleep. So do Mm -hmm. children grow out of disturbed sleep? Not particularly because we actually know that during childhood is when the brain is developing the most. And there is a lot of research to suggest that if a child is having disturbed breathing during sleep, they're more likely to have an increased risk of learning and behavioural problems. 
And so mm-hmm. if we don't really address that underlying factor, these children are at risk. They may not be necessarily sleeping or thriving to their full potential. So I don't really agree with that statement. I think it's important mm. that we treat children. We really want children to be breathing well. Absolutely. And so I guess coming back to that case with the little girl that I had where she presented and we've done our assessment and seems to be you know, raising a few red flags. But what happens next if we think maybe there is some merit to referring it off to an ENT to assess it or like how does that process work? Should we contact an ENT directly? Should we recommend them seeing a GP? From, I guess, the patient and their parents' point of view, what does that journey then become? If I'm seeing quite obstructive tonsils, if they're sort of grade three and grade four tonsils, or there's really obvious nasal obstruction, I may actually Mm -hmm. refer them for, for an ENT. But nowadays, I'm also really focused on that palate structure and also Mm -hmm. their their tongue posture and there is some research to suggest if we can get a child breathing through their nose pretty easily with their lips sealed for three minutes we don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have to rush into ENT we may want to focus on getting that child to close their lips and breathe through their nose. And I think with that four and a half year old child that you discussed, those children are quite compliant. It's quite often easy enough to get them in the chair and see if they can close their mouth with using a, a paddle pop between their lips and just mm-hmm. while they're watching TV and just to see, can they breathe effortlessly? And in that mm-hmm. situation, I may be more focused on what I can do with the palate or what I can do in terms of my functional therapy. Is that paddle pop test kind of a good indicator for you then whether it's something that you can manage as a dentist with myofunctional therapy or whether it needs to go to an ENT? Is that kind of a good indicator? Yeah, for me, I mean, the the, mm. the research was published by Dr. Surush Sagi. So he mm-hmm. actually did lip tape or micropore tape. And so he suggested that this could be an indicator to suggest mm-hmm. that we don't need to rush in, that it is a multifactorial problem. Every time mm-hmm. a child grinds their teeth or has obstruction airways, we don't necessarily need to think it's an adenoid and tonsil problem. There are other things that we need to look at. Have you ever done a filling on a front tooth? Thought it looked great when your patient was upside down, but when you sit them up and you face them, you realise that something's not quite right, but you can't quite put your finger on it. On the podcast, we always say we don't know what we don't know. The brain doesn't understand what the eyes don't see, and the aesthetic smile is one of these things. Australian Hands-On Courses is running a free webinar with Dr. Paul J. Huynh on smile design and simple techniques to help master your composite veneers. As part of their mission to help graduates accelerate their growth and reach their utmost potential, AHC is running a series of free online webinars on what you should know. Aesthetic Smile Designs and Anterior Composites is Module 4 of the series and will be run as a live webinar next Monday the 5th of June at 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Spots are limited, so make sure you sign up via the link in our show notes and stay in the loop for the ongoing series which is free for all students and graduates. did go down that ENT route and they ended up having adenoids or tonsils removed and then they come back to us in the clinic. Now, how does the ongoing care of them 
work and how does that continue if that makes sense like what things do we continue assessing it and does our treatment change in any way what we'll find is that after mm. adenoids and tonsils are removed for a child mm-hmm. many children will have a symptomatic improvement so mm-hmm. a lot of parents will report that they don't snore as much or they're they're okay. more they're not as restless they're sleeping better through the night but a lot of them will have persistent mouth breathing or things like teeth grinding that still need to be addressed so sure. I often will see those type of children or I'll see children that have had a really great response following the ENT surgery and then a couple of years later down the track parents are starting to notice the recurrence of those symptoms and so what we know is that we have a multifactorial problem adenoids and tonsils are not going to be curative in fact we Mm -hmm. know that there's research to suggest many children will have persistent breathing issues and so us as dentists we are really responsible for identifying those other risk factors whether it be that open mouth posture or the narrow palate, or the restricted tongue mobility. That is our role that we can play as dentists to be able to get educated in these areas to identify and screen those risk factors so that children can get more complete treatment. Yeah, that's a really good point to raise where it's not necessarily just referring them, having treatment done, and that's the problem solved. I think it's really interesting how you say they can still have ongoing signs and symptoms or that it can recur. I guess to talk about the effects of bruxism again coming back to this little case study that we're doing where this little girl has ground down all her teeth to the point where you can see the outlines of the pulp chambers what sort of treatment should we be doing I guess now talking just dentally you know uh, do we restore them in a particular way how does grinding affect I guess our treatment modalities and I guess another question that some people have even mentioned is Do you ever do a splint for children? There's really no research to support occlusal splints Mm -hmm. for children. And I think that in my experience, a lot of cases will be related to obstructive breathing. So we really Mm -hmm. need to get to the root of the problem and address it. And so we know, okay, maybe two-thirds. The research shows us that two-thirds of children will have a reduction in their sleep bruxism following ENT surgery. But we know that's not curative, so we've got to address those other risk factors. And so I'm going to be looking at things like that palate because I've, I do a lot of palate expansion in my practice. Traditional age is seven to eight years. But what I noticed when I started doing a lot of expansion consistently, parents were telling me their children were sleeping and breathing better. And mm-hmm. so I actually started to think, why can we not do it earlier than six, seven to eight? So my daughter, I think she was age six. I, that, that was many, many years ago. I decided that I yeah. was going to do her first. And then I actually started going younger and younger because what we realize is that children are starting to breathe better. Parents are reporting that they're not as restless, reduced bedwetting, reduced teeth crying in many cases with the palate expansion. And there is a little bit of research to support that as well. Mm -hmm. And so I want to address that palate structure for that particular patient if it's really narrow. For me, I don't need to wait necessarily. Do you do anything for those teeth that already have been ground down or do you kind of leave them as is and just focus on the other factors that like the root cause? I would tend to focus on more on addressing the airway because I've had a lot of children come into my practice and they have totally ground down their teeth. It's pretty ground down, but I've never really had that many patients say that it was actually sensitive or, sure. or painful. So I really want to get to the root of the problem. I'm not necessarily going to build up those teeth or anything. 
what I noticed is that a lot of these children that have really severe tooth wear, we know that enamel is tougher than bone. So when we see this extreme tooth wear, we've got to start thinking, is there any reflux disease? Because if there is any reflux or acid pulling in the mouth, it's going to accelerate tooth wear. And again, when I'm thinking of reflux disease, one of the most common things that I see is that it could actually be related to obstructive breathing. So when a Mm -hmm. child has airflow limitation and they're breathing harder and they're breathing in and their throat is collapsing like a straw, we're going to Mm -hmm. sometimes get some stomach contents getting aerosolized back into our throat and into our mouth. It can pull, not necessarily creating heartburn type symptoms, but It will pull, it can contribute to enlargement or irritation of the tonsils. And then it's Mm -hmm. pulling around in our teeth and eroding them. So I think that a lot of the time when we see this severe sleep bruxism or or tooth-related, grinding-related wear, there is going Mm -hmm. to be reflux uh, disease present as well. So we've got to look for that erosion, ask parents for symptoms. A lot of that will be asymptomatic, but some parents will tell me that their child complains of a funny taste in their mouth or spew burps. Mm -hmm. Some children will have a post-nasal drip or they'll be constantly throat clearing like (sighs) or or this chronic cough that may get misdiagnosed as asthma. But yes, I think when we have those very severe teeth, we need to make sure that we've considered erosion being part of that process. How interesting. And that's really fascinating where, yeah, if you're not looking at it all, you can most certainly misdiagnose or dismiss it as being something else. And I think kind of the main take home message of our little talk here, Dr. Shireen, is just how complex and multifactorial it is and why your job really specializing in this area is so complex because there's so many different layers to it. I guess having done this for a number of years now, how long would you be overseeing the care for these children? And at what point do you feel like they've overcome this and they're okay, (laughs) if that makes sense? Yeah, my ultimate goal for all children is to have tongue suction, lingual palate suction. Uh, So the tongue should rest in the roof of the mouth in contact with the palate. And this makes it impossible to mouth breathe. And so that Mm. tongue in the roof of the mouth is really good tone and air flowing through the nose is very laminar. It flows all the way down the throat. There's only one way that it can go and it's the most stable airway because that tongue, well-toned, sealed to the roof of the mouth, we know the bulk of the tongue is the genioglossus muscle, which is the main upper airway dilator muscle. Like it's the main muscle that keeps the throat open. And so that's the optimal rest posture. And we know that nasal breathing is the ultimate goal for children. And so, so once you achieve that, that's kind of your, you've reached the finish line. You've reached the treatment. finish line. Yeah. So you're, you're free. <laughs> so yeah, if, if there's any barrier to them keeping their tongue up, of making it easier for them to close them to open their mouth we want to rule that out with the ENT we want to do the palate expansion because we know there's so much research to support that improves nasal airflow but we also make more space for the tongue to then allow that tongue to seal to the roof of the mouth and then we have to do myofunctional therapy which is the exercises to strengthen the tongue coordinate it improve the tone uh, and also seal the lips more naturally and breathe through the nose so that is probably the longest part creating new habits as dentists and dental students we all have difficult days 
You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1800 377 700 or visit the website dpsupport.com. ask about that because I think a lot of people will kind of have an idea about what ENTs do and what orthodontists will do in terms of palatal expansion but we talked before about myofunctional therapy and I kind of wanted to know what exactly that is and what it entails. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, myofunctional therapy is really about oral exercises with the, the, the mouth and the tongue and the throat to actually improve the tone and the ultimate goal being that oral rest posture, that tongue to palate suction, continuous nasal breathing day and night time, lips sealing quite easily and just improving any functions like speech and swallowing and chewing as well. And so these muscles that we use for speech and chewing and swallowing and even feeding during infancy, they're the same muscles of our throat. So we want to get them working really well and coordinated. We do that through exercises and and habit awareness, so teaching people what we really want and then we give them little exercises to sequentially to improve their coordination and their tone and just, you know, it has to be done very repetitively and incorporated during the daytime. We just want to get all these muscles working really well because during sleep when all the muscles are really relaxed and everything becomes more floppy, if it's not really working well, we are going to have more collapse of that collapsible upper airway. I think what I will leave is I really want to dive into these habits. And I think this is a really interesting topic. We'll save it for our part three of this, Dr. Shreem. But just I think as parents, there's a lot of things that you don't necessarily realize can become bad habits. And I think even as clinicians, we may not notice it as well. So I think it'll be really interesting to talk about that and then the exercises that you teach children and parents to achieve that optimal posture and position and airway relationship. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.